time for... We like comics because they have no bones. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, as usual, you can check us out at anchor.fm slash boneless comics podcast. Instagram is at boneless comics podcast and Twitter at boneless comics one. Uh, our streaming platforms are Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, and I'm sure there are others out there that I'm not aware of, but it should be up on just about everything now. So just look for the banana holding a comic book that has no bones in it. It's it's uh, pretty hard to miss. So, yeah, today uh, let's jump right into it. Today we are talking about something that I'm very excited about, which is a comic based on Mega Man specifically the first Mega Man game from 1987. Mega Man Let the Games Begin by Ian Flynn and Patrick Spaziante. I'm glad you could pronounce that. Well, <laughs> I'm guessing that I said it correctly. It's obviously an Italian name of some kind. Before we get into the book itself, I wanted to throw it over to you because I know this is an unusual starting place. And where did you first encounter Mega Man? Well, of course, you already know the answer to this, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> mine was actually either a part of our friendship, but also I was into PC gaming back in the day, back in the day being the 1990s. And there was a certain video game on DOS called Mega Man 3, which I got into uh, that was released in 1992 for the PC. And if you've only played the NES games and you've not played this PC game, do not, because it is one of the worst <laughs> games. Uh, it's probably the second worst game in existence. The first worst game being the original Mega Man for the DOS or Windows system. <laughs> Both were terrible games. There was no music. The sound effects were bad. The sprites were bad. The level design was terrible. A lot about it, uh, probably everything about it was bad, but it was my first introduction <laughs> to Mega Man and more so just, I guess, to a side-scrolling shooter, just kind of getting used to that and what that was about and just getting into that kind of, I guess, concept, but nothing really about Mega Man himself. I guess you go through levels and you fight bosses. That's about what it has in common with the NES games or Super NES or anything else for that matter. Yeah, I, I remember when we were kids and you first showed me that and I was really interested in seeing it because I was like, oh, my gosh, they're like classic Mega Man games that I'm not aware of because I've been a fan of this series probably since I was eight years old. But yeah, unfortunately, it didn't live up to the hype or the, the quality standard that Capcom set on the NES. So but for everybody that doesn't know, Joe and I are huge gamers. And so the idea of kind of fusing our love of comic books and gaming into one episode here was really appealing. That's one of the reasons that I picked this book. I also have a friend that gifted it to me quite a while ago, and I had been putting off reading it until now. So this gave me a good excuse to finally crack it open I hope I'm not spoiling too much by saying that uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, yeah. um, but my, my first Mega Man game for the record was Mega Man 2, which is where 
most people of my generation started, I believe. That was kind of the big hit. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to be talking more about Mega Man 1 because this comic book is a direct adaptation of Mega Man 1 from 1987. So again, before we get into it, if you could pick one Mega Man game from any of the Mega Man series uh, as your favorite, what would you pick? I would pick I would pick two of them, and I'll tell you why for oh. both. The second one I would pick would be Mega Man 3, and no, not the PC game, the Mega <laughs> Man 3 NES game, uh, because it's very easy to give Mega Man extra abilities in it, like getting out of pits and jumping really high. So another thing that, you know, Mike and I both being gamers, but not I think all things are not equal. He is the Mega Man <laughs> guy. He is the platformer guy. He can do those tricks all day, all night, tell you what order to fight the bosses in everything. Mega Man, that's Mike. I am terrible at Mega Man. Like I at one point I just stopped playing and I was like, you know what? I just like watching you play because he'd hand me the controller and say, you want to trade off levels? And eventually I was just like, no, it's better to watch you play because I'm just going to lose all our lives. <laughs> so Mega Man 3 for that reason. But ultimately, my favorite Mega Man game uh, is really the Mega Man Legends series, which really didn't get enough love. Yeah. Legends is an extremely solid pick because it was him bursting into 3D. And if people don't know, it's kind of like they combined the idea of Zelda where you have this overworld to explore and you're going and getting different abilities that allow you to progress through the game. And then some, even some like role-playing mechanics were in there and they threw that all together with Mega Man. And it just, it had a lot of charm. The characters were good. And it was on the PlayStation too. Yeah, it was on the, it was on the PlayStation. So it, it was, you know, right when 3D was kind of starting to become a thing in video games. And it was just really well implemented. Yeah, they made the first two on PlayStation. It's on other platforms too, like I think Nintendo 64. And yeah, I think there's a PC port of it I as well. I think there's a PC port, yeah. I'm yeah. probably just going to stay away from that. Um, but they were going to make a Mega Man Legends 3, um, but uh, that was going to be on the N Nintendo 3DS, but ultimately it ended up being canceled, which is very disappointing, very unfortunate. So I think nowadays we're just hoping that they'll do like a remaster of the first two and, you know, maybe we'll get lucky. There'll be a third one, but I really enjoyed. Yeah, those. that would be really nice. And I could play them too. They were all fun. And yeah, <laughs> the difficulty wasn't quite so crushing. The Mega Man series is known for having a pretty high level of difficulty as far as platformers, where I would say that Mario is maybe somewhere in the middle of the road. Mega Man is kind of skewing towards the hard side especially that first one yeah yeah so what's your favorite so i've had a really hard time deciding because i've played almost all of them Mega Man legends is probably in my top three just because of how different and unique and fun it is but i would have to go with either Mega Man 8 or Mega Man x4 which were the other two entries on the playstation only because they're the ones that honestly i've played the most they were the first time that they'd broken through into really more realistic looking graphics although i, I think they would you know be considered dated looking today but the animations and everything kind of caught up to where it was you know a semi-realistic playing of like a cartoon 
just the the platforming and the way they have you do your abilities and stuff to even just to get through the levels Mega Man 8 is really creative and cool. I think that's probably going to be my favorite entry although honestly I love most of them and even the bad games I can probably find something about it to like. Yeah, I figured you would pick X4 especially back in the day. I keep saying that in this podcast, mm-hmm. but this is comic related. Um we yeah. got our hands on the sprites that are used in Mega Man X4 and created our own sprite-based comic uh that was online for a little while. I think yeah. we used a lot of the same premises. Well, because we used recolored sprites, so there's only so many ways you can recolor them. But uh-huh. uh, I think we did a lot of similar things to other people that were doing the same thing then. So I don't even know if that's <laughs> yeah. still around online anymore. Of course, I have copies if I need a good chuckle every once in a while. But Yeah, if, if you can find it out there, um, good on you, but it's not... <laughs> We're not going to help you find something I'm particularly proud of, and we're not (laughs) going to give you the name of it. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, X4 was definitely made a huge impression. So moving on into the book itself, I was able to find a couple of things about the creators. Ian Flynn was the chief writer of the Sonic the Hedgehog series at Archie, starting with issue 160. And something really neat that I learned about him is that he actually got his job by sending in unsolicited proposals for story ideas to Archie Comics. And I guess he was so relentless in submitting his story ideas that finally they were like, why don't we just hire this guy? And so he became the regular writer for Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Um, Marvel and DC do not accept solicits. So uh, as we're talking about an Archie book today, it's kind of interesting looking at that and the fact that they would actually let an outsider just do that, you know, is kind of a big deal. So this is really a fan that just was like, hey, I want to write for this company. And, you know, it worked out for him. He was, you know, relentless enough that they ended up hiring him. So he's also written a couple other things. Um, He did have a run on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he actually wrote the Archie book itself. Uh, Since 2018, it looks like he's been writing a title called Cosmo the Merry Martian, which I guess is an old Archie intellectual property that they were kind of looking to revive. So, But he's mostly worked for Archie Comics and IDW. And uh, if you guys don't know, there are a couple of the – I wouldn't consider Archie to be an indie company necessarily but they're definitely smaller than marvel and dc are those are you know those are what we call the big two so everybody else is kind of a little bit below them as far as the amount of publications they have and and how much money and industry control archie and idw as well as i think boom studios are kind of the companies known for doing media adaptation comics so archie has had the sonic the hedgehog license for I mean, probably since that game came out and they've been very, very successful with it. I mean, it's had a long, long run. So them doing Mega Man makes a lot of sense. It's kind of them just branching out into another video game character. So I don't know if you had anything on the writer, Joe. Not so much on the writer. I knew, I think, that he had written some Sonic before, which is kind of neat. You know, not just having the characters and then having the spinoffs and then having them made into a game, but actually writing stories about characters that have 
you know, had their origins in video games, kind of a, a different take on it, neat way to do it and just kind of see something different. I think in some regards, although the book that we're reviewing or the issues I should say we're reviewing are kind of a, a retelling of a story that's already been in place. But I yeah. guess, I guess I assumed going in to reading this that it would probably be kind of cartoony and maybe a little silly or goofy, but it actually ended up being really good. I think it could have been fleshed out a little bit more and, you know, obviously we can get into our thoughts later, but I just wanted to say, you know, they actually did a a pretty darn good job um, with what they set out to do. So it wasn't like something cartoony or gimmicky or something just for children. Like it was a good book. So um, they did a good job with writing, writing and retelling the story. And then also the uh, art in it, you know, is drawn very well and represents the games well as well. That's a good segue into talking about Patrick Spaziante, which again, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. But it looks like he also got his start working on the Sonic titles at Archie, but he was working only as a cover artist. So what he does a really good job of, at least in this book, I I can't judge his Sonic work because I haven't read it. He manages to kind of really aptly adapt that manga style that is popular in the Mega Man games because they're Japanese games. So it's going to be more of a manga or anime look, but he does a really good job of adapting that and just making it look on model for those characters, for what you would expect in, you know, like production art for the games and things like that. So if you're familiar with the video games or if you've seen art kind of from that universe already, it's nice because it's very, very consistent with the look of everybody. I I guess if I had to add anything about the art beyond that, I'd say that he does a good job of being pretty dynamic with it. The line work is really clean. There's not a lot of overly detailed stuff where it's unnecessary. He kind of leaves room for the colorist to, you know, fill in details with color as opposed to doing it with line. And it works. It's it's simple. It allows them to tell the story and everybody looks like who they're supposed to be. So I really have no complaints about the art whatsoever. Agreed. I guess we could go ahead and move into talking about the story itself. I don't know that it's really necessary to have a spoiler and non-spoiler section, mainly just because this game has been out since 1987 and this follows the story of the game very closely. Yeah, if you haven't been exposed to Mega Man by now, that's on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I am a firm believer in spoilers having a shelf life. So there are certain things that, you know, if you're just not aware of it, you know, you probably haven't had the interest before. But the, the basic overall plot outline of Mega Man is there are two scientists. You've got Dr. Thomas Light and Dr. Albert Wiley. And they were working on robotics together, whether it's in college or, or, you know, just as a project after college, they were both robotic scientists and Dr. Light wanted to create robots that could better humanity and kind of live alongside them as helpers, but also kind of as a, another race that would be able to live in harmony with humanity. Dr. Wiley's ideas were a little bit darker So he ended up reprogramming the robot masters that Dr. Light created, and then they go on a rampage, and Dr. Light's two robots rock and roll. They're named rock and roll for uh, Dr. Light's apparent love for music. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Light loves music and uh, almost all of his creations have a music themed name. So we've got rock and roll. Rock is essentially Dr. Light's son. Roll is Dr. Light's daughter for all intents and purposes, even though they are robots. And there's Blues, who is um, Mega Man's older brother, although he does not feature real prominently in this. And there are a few reasons for that that we can get into once we start talking about the story. But those are the basic characters, really. You've got Dr. Light, Dr. Wily, Rock, Roll, then the Robot Masters. And I mean, the Robot Masters are Bomb Man, Cut Man, Guts Man, Elect Man, Ice Man, and Fire Man. So, <laughs> yeah. And no. if there's if there's any question of which one is the evil one and which one is the good one, Doctor Wiley, he looks so obviously evil. He's drawn <laughs> with straight lines and triangles. His hair is like literally in the shape of a bat. Whereas Doctor yeah. Light, he's all smooth. He's got this like kind looking face. He kind of looks like Santa. He he's always had kind of a kindly Santa Claus look to him. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the basic plot outline. And so Rock having a strong sense of justice, and this is something that's repeated in many of the games as well as the comic book. They always say Rock having a strong sense of justice decided to be converted into a fighting robot. And so he became Mega Man. Uh, Dr. Light gave him his plasma cannon, or in the case of this comic, his Mega Buster, and sent him out in the world to, you know, basically stop Wily from world domination. So as it's a video game storyline, it doesn't really need a whole lot of depth. You just kind of need a villain to fight and you're good to go. So that's really all the setup you need to know about Mega Man. I, I think they, they take it a little bit further to sort of make it a little more, little more realistic or just more fleshed out, I guess, um, in this story. And it kind of left me wanting a little bit bit more of it like so they they -hmm. went through all of the robot masters so cut man he's supposed to oversee forestry management i don't really know how because he's got giant scissors on his head it's more like (laughs) deforestation (laughs) management but they they set these robot masters up as they're supposed to be in charge of services that are supposed to help people but it's kind of wonky you know like cut man's a good example uh fireman's a good example because he basically gets to burn trash that's what he's made for yeah he's he's waste incineration is his job bomb man seems like a really bad idea uh (laughs) even if he's benevolent like he can literally create an infinite number of bombs from nothing i guess that's good if you need to for demolition purposes but it just seems like that's a lot of power yeah, Bomb Man was built for controlled demolitions and excavation, according to my comic book. And I there are actually character profiles in the back of the trade, which is nice because it it does give you a little bit more background information on the the various robot masters. Gutsman, it says he's designed for heavy labor, which he's kind of the big beefy guy, so that makes a lot of sense. Well, it adds in there that he can take care of hazardous conditions so i guess he can face hazards because he has guts i guess <laughs> yeah the, the the name guts man was always a little bit confusing and i i within the game and and the comic too i'm, I'm not really sure why that was what they 
landed on. I'm surprised that Mega Man never said like, I'm going to spill your guts or, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a few bad puns in this, uh, which, you know, I mean, this is the kind of story that is kind of rife with that kind of thing. And you, you would expect it. So, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it was just for kids either. I think it's very much a love letter to people that like the video games because there's so much detail in there of things that you would only notice if you were familiar with the games. So I, I guess moving down the list, we've talked about Gutsman and Cutman. We talked about Bombman. Iceman is designed to explore the most frigid regions of the world. So I guess you put him down in Antarctica so that you don't have to have real people there. I guess that's the idea. Although he fires an ice beam, so I'm not sure that how that's useful in that environment. Yeah, you'd think that he would be able to generate heat because you would need that in order to help people traverse Antarctica. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Some of it seems a little bit undercooked, but they're really going off the information from the video game and trying to adapt it into a fully fleshed out story. And if I... If I had to, I'm not going to rate it right now, but what you said earlier is definitely what I feel that they fleshed it out just enough that it gave it the feeling of a story. But the fact that they did that made me feel like, oh, I wish they'd gone further with this yeah. because what was there was good and it felt like they really could have stretched it out to six issues instead of four and maybe added a little bit more character depth to everybody. So, and, and even some of the action sequences, I feel like they could have extended them because it, the pacing is very, very fast. I, I feel like they could have slowed it down and let some of those moments breathe a little bit more. So, well, and these characters seem very larger than life in not quite a silly way that it's funny, but kind of a silly way that it's like, okay, so we're making robots and they're living among us. And, you know, we've seen so many sci-fi stories about that, but these robots are different in that they have some sort of primary occupation that's like super exaggerated in either their powers or their physical appearance. Like again, cut man with giant scissors on his head. There's not really any doubt to what it is that he does. <laughs> Yeah. Or a lech man who, you know, regulates power at power plants or something like that. I was kind of shocked when I heard that was an occupation. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are people that work at. Oh, no. Okay, I hear what you just did. I hear what you just did. It's going to be one of those episodes, huh? Why not? Uh, we might as well have pun. <laughs> yeah, we might as well have pun with this because there are quite a few. Um, so, you know, that's kind of everybody. It, the only character that we really haven't touched on in great detail is Blues, or he's probably better known as Proto-Man, mainly because he's not super relevant to this story, as long as you know that he was designed before Mega Man. As a prototype? Yeah, they, so, you know, Proto-Man, he was the prototype. Blues is his name in Japan. That makes a little bit more sense, honestly, as his name, just because Dr. Light names everything after music. If we, you know, get into later games, Mega Man has a pet bird named Beat. He has a cat named Tango. He's got a dog named Rush, which Rush is a band. So I, I guess that's the link there. But, you know, everything is named after music. So that's that's just kind of the gimmick of it. So 
I guess now that we've kind of run everybody down, should we go ahead and talk about the actual story? Yeah. So issue one of Mega Man, Let the Games Begin. One interesting thing that I noted was that Rush, Mega Man's pet dog, actually appears on the cover, which is surprising because Rush doesn't come into the picture until much later in the uh, Mega Man continuity and actually doesn't show up in this book at all. So this is kind of a common trend in comic books where the first issue of a series is not necessarily going to be representative of what you're getting in that issue, but the cover is going to be representative of this is kind of encapsulating this series as a whole. So a lot of times you will get covers on a number one that don't directly relate to the story. And this is another example of that, but that's pretty common. So I have a note on that as well, that the first issues cover also has role in her Mega Man eight outfit, even though in the story itself, she's wearing her Mega Man one costume or her first costume. So that's funny because they fixed it for the trade paperback. And so that's what I have as a reading, note as well. Yep. They fixed that yeah, for the trade. Because I have the trade paperback and they obviously noticed their mistake. Oh, we've got her in her later outfit and they, you know, they altered the art. But if you're reading it digitally, I would assume that those issues actually have the original cover on it. So, yeah. That, that was kind of a fun little thing. I think now her Mega Man 8 appearance is what you expect to see when you see Roll. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I think it would have been really easy to make that mistake. Yeah, normally she just wears kind of a pink dress. And a, I know this is sexist, but she's uh, Dr. Light's housekeeper. So, uh, I mean, Rock helps around the house, too. That's kind well, of his job as well. At the same time, though, she has to replace like a floor tile or something, which looks like a gigantic <laughs> cement block. And she's just like lifting it <laughs> over her head like it's nothing. Because I it's remember true. Like you see rock and he's shining shoes. Apparently that's his thing that he does for people. But I'm like, what does roll do? Please don't tell me that she cooks and cleans and, you know, all that regular stuff. So I was kind of looking to see what they did with her. And they never really mentioned what her house chores were until she's like, oh, I have to fix the house when you guys mess things up. And so she she exhibits super strength to pick this up and is like laughing about it. And then there's some repairs that need to be done later. And she goes to run and grab her tools. So that was kind of nice to see. Yeah. Well, and she's, she's actually like buffing out like a huge crater in the floor at one point, if I remember correctly. So yeah, she is doing housekeeping, but it's things that most humans or I would assume no humans would be capable of with regular strength. So it, it is kind of cool to see that at least Roll is using the capabilities of a robot to kind of go beyond what a human could accomplish. Why Rock is shining everybody's shoes is anybody's guess. I don't know why that's his thing, but he's a, he's a shoe shine boy in the beginning of the story. He just wants so, to rock people's shoes, I guess. I guess. I guess. Although this story does start a little bit out of sequence because we begin with a with an action sequence, which you know always a good way to pull in the reader. I I can't remember where I read it, but somebody I was talking to, it may have even been my local comic store owner, said that really you've got the first two pages to grab somebody's attention. And if you don't have them at that point, then they're probably going to put the book down and find something else because comics are such a, 
you know, a wide field and there's so much else out there that, you know, you've just got to grab people right up front. So they, they do start with an action sequence and it's a very accurate representation of the first Dr. Wily stage in uh, Mega Man 1 down to the fact that the enemies that Mega Man are fighting are identical to the ones you see in the game. And they even have him use Gutsman's weapon to pry open the entrance to the fortress, which is something that you're required to do in the game. And the only other note I had there was that the art on Mega Man's transformation, when he's using a different power um, from one of the other robot masters is really cool. There's not much of a flash that goes with that in the game. So it was, it was nice to see that they added a little bit of a, kind of a visual indication that he's changing abilities in the comic. And he has the typical, um, if you've seen any like kind of anime or animation with Mega Man, he seems to be super whiny is usually how he's portrayed. And so mm-hmm. right at the beginning, he goes, I don't have time to fight you. Please let me pass. Yeah, I, I did want to talk about that a little bit because my view of classic Mega Man is that he's always been more motivated by I want to just save people. I want justice. It's that strong sense of justice is the thing that they keep repeating. I think they say it in, you know, a couple of the instruction booklets early on. They say it in the intro to Mega Man 4. That's always a character trait that's attributed to Rock or, you know, Mega Man as he becomes later. And uh, X, the character, the main character of the Mega Man X games is always the one that to me is portrayed as a little bit more hesitant to fight. He's not sure if he's doing the right thing. He doesn't know if he should be destroying robots and and that type of thing. So it it was a little bit odd to me that they kind of gave that personality attribute to Mega Man because I don't really see him that way at least from playing the video games and kind of being familiar with the lore. Even in Mega Man 8 when he goes, "Bass, why must I fight you? We are not enemies." <laughs> Uh, for those yeah. of you who don't know, uh, Mega Man 8 was really great on the PlayStation. Um, it introduced cutscenes that were animated. They were there was voice acting. There was voice <laughs> acting. Yeah, it it wasn't so great. Uh, some of the actors I think hadn't read their lines before, or English wasn't their first language, or they just didn't have any emotional range. And so there's a lot of uh, lines like that in that game. Yeah, the the uh, the voice acting in it is hilariously bad. If you ever have a chance to just go on YouTube and watch just the uh, the FMVs or the full motion videos from Mega Man 8, uh, do yourself a favor and do it because they're pretty funny just because of the voice acting alone. The animation itself is fine, but... Yeah, the animation was really good. If you want to see something even more hilarious, look up Mega Man X4 and <laughs> a scene with Zero when he finds Iris and uh, has a <laughs> monologue about that and screams at the end. It's, it's supposed to be a really traumatic and touching scene, but the voice acting just completely ruins it. Yeah, it, it takes it way into just insane territory. The, the overacting is hilarious. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, he is a little bit melodramatic, and um, I, I was a little bit surprised to see that. Because again, when I when I think of classic Mega Man, I don't really see him as being that hesitant to fight. He seems like the guy that's like, you know what, I've made the decision. I'm going to go out there and save people. And, and, you know, that's who I am. So but they did give him some character progression um, throughout mm-hmm. the story. You know, he starts off kind of a little timid, but mostly 
like wanting to help and and volunteers to you know become a well not a robot master i guess but uh to be equipped as somebody who will fight the a super fighting robot robot masters yeah a super fighting robot mega man um <laughs> But then he kind of goes through this phase where he, he starts off kind of innocent and then he starts to be a little depressed about things. And then he starts mm-hmm. to get his second win and wind and starts to win a lot. And then he starts to get really cocky um, and then he becomes humble again. So he kind of goes through this progression in this story, which was kind of interesting to add some character depth to him. Yeah, I wasn't opposed to it necessarily. Um, I, I think that it it gives you something a little bit more to hold on to than just the narrative when they have the character go on a little bit of a journey. It's not really a deep emotional journey of any kind, but I don't really know that it has to be for this. I mean, this is just a fun book about, you know, let's watch Mega Man save the world. And, and you know, the a lot of the character stuff in Mega Man to me always was kind of the preamble to him becoming Mega Man. But uh, they actually gave him a little bit of an arc in the book after he became Mega Man. So that that was nice to see because, you know, what we need from video games and what we need from comics are obviously two different things. And, uh, you know, this has got to have a story if it's going to hook you or or pull you in at all. So but I think these kinds of stories, you know, especially with Mega Man, but kind of these types in general, like they're, they're very predictable. You know where all the characters stand because they're, they're very, I guess, specific in their archetypes. And Mm -hmm. it just, it's very predictable, but it's fun. Like you, you show up because you want to see, you know, Dr. Light and Dr. Wiley have this like kind of weird faux friendship and then Dr. Wiley betray him and the robot masters go run amok. And then, Mega Man has to fight them, fight his way through them and save the day. Like that's, it's really the bare bones of the story. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, but when you show up to it, that's what you expect to see. That's what the enjoyable part of it is. Yeah. And I I think, I, I think, I mean, in a way this is, this is fluff or this is kind of like watching, you know, a 30 minute action cartoon when we were kids after school or something like that, but it's entertaining. It doesn't need to be Shakespeare. Right. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to just watch or read something that's simple and just kind of enjoy the archetypes. And, you know, it's fun to see Mega Man go into action. It's it's fun to see this this moment of him deciding, you know what, um, there's nobody out there that can stop these robot masters that Dr. Wiley is reprogrammed. So I'm going to have to be the one to go out and stop them. it's just nice to see those character beats actually play out in more of a narrative fashion, as opposed to a video game where you really get, you know, a couple sentences of narration and then you're, they're like, okay, now you're, you're into it, you know, go, go play the game. So So. our listeners can probably figure out now why we picked this story following uh, (laughs) Mr. Miracle and uh, Avengers disassembled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I think there was, some talk that we had gotten a little bit too dark with you know right out the gate so uh, the idea was to maybe tackle something that didn't have quite so much darkness and pain in it so this is just kind of a nice fun story about a robot saving the world well there is some kind of pain in it you know dr wiley like his motivation is i mean i think that he looks evil so he probably has evil Mm -hmm. in his genes but at the same time like (laughs) i found myself sympathizing for him just a little bit 
because yeah. Dr. Light, you know, he's got the credibility. He's the face of this company, Light Labs. And I guess Wiley is an equal partner in all things that matter, I think Dr. Light says. But obviously, he can't really have his name or his face on the company because he's done questionable things like uh, experiment on robots and ways that were more morally and ethically concerning to the general public, which is like, okay, why is Dr. Light working with this guy? They must have some <laughs> kind of friendship, but all Dr. Wiley can think about is betraying him because he's jealous. Um, but Dr. Light, like his lab is actually his house as well. He lives there. He made some household robots to be his children. And I'm like, where does Dr. Wiley live? Like, does he live in a shed in the back? You know, cause nobody can see him. <laughs> does he have his own place? Like I, I was just kind of like, well, maybe he is right to be jealous of uh, Dr. Light. Cause he kind of keeps everything for himself. And he's just like, Oh, you're along for the ride. And yeah, you're important, but I'm going to go out and talk to all our shareholders and announce to the world that we have all these robots. So you stay back here. Yeah, that, that was, uh, there definitely was a, a whole story beat where it felt like, uh, Dr. Light was kind of sidelining Dr. Wiley a little bit. And, uh, you, you could feel Wiley's resentment when he's like, okay, yeah, like, you did contribute and you're an equal partner in this business, but we really can't have you go out front with me right now. So maybe just stay back there. You know, Wiley, of course, appears to be joking around with Dr. Light, but is secretly or not so secretly to the audience planning to betray him. I, I did think that uh, they added a little bit of a wrinkle to Dr. Light's past because they mentioned Sniper Joes, which are a pretty common enemy in the Mega Man games, they mentioned that Dr. Light had designed them. And so there's almost like this thought of like, did he used to be like a war profiteer or something? Was he making robots for combat with Dr. Wily before and then decided, no, that's not the road I want to go down? They don't really go down that rabbit hole very far, but I kind of wish they did. I wondered if it was like an Iron Man experience where he saw his weapons being used in a way that changed him. So maybe he and Wiley were really more similar and there was some kind of something that happened and it made Wiley go the evil direction and light go the the light direction, the uh, non-evil <laughs> direction and kind of look more service robots and things like that. Like maybe they were designing weapons together and light was like, you know what, this, this is not good. Like these weapons are being used to hurt people. And I've seen firsthand, you know, what that's like. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And Dr. Wiley, you know, being the partner who's like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? We're not going to use these for war anymore. Yeah. Okay. You, you say we aren't, but I'm going to make sure that we do. Yeah, you, you kind of get a sense that there's a rift in their friendship because their ideologies at one point were the same, but now they're diverging a little bit. So again, I just that was really interesting to me. I thought it would have been cool if they had maybe shown a little bit more of them younger, you know, maybe padded the story out a little bit more because the pacing is so fast. But there are character things in there like that that are interesting. So sounds like we need a prequel. Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely be down <laughs> after reading this with this creative team. I think they could pull it off. At any rate, you know, Wiley does end up betraying Dr. Light. So he steals the six robot masters. He reprograms them for evil and decides to try and take over the world. So he's 
you know, contacting the world leaders and, and telling them that he wants control of their nations and things, things of that nature. And as he says in Mega Man 8, <laughs> now world is mine. Now world is mine. <laughs> he, Dr. Wiley's voice in Mega Man 8 always sounded like um, Boris from Rocky and Bullwinkle to me. It's it's just really. Yeah, I don't know if that really was on bad. purpose or not, but it <laughs> was definitely bad. So uh, ultimately Mega Man, or I'm sorry, Rock makes the decision to become Mega Man and Dr. Light, you know, agrees, okay, I'm going to beef you up. I'm going to make you into a fighting robot so that you can stop these robot masters. This is a, an actually pretty major place that it diverges from the video game story because he outfits him with the Mega Buster, which in the games is a weapon that Mega Man doesn't get until Mega Man 4 because it can charge up giant fireballs. Just for those in the know, Mega Man 1 through 3, Mega Man has what I think is the plasma cannon. That was my understanding of what it was called. Uh, and then that was replaced with the Mega Buster. So normally in the games, the Mega Buster was named after Mega Man. But in this comic book, Mega Man is named after the Buster that Dr. Light gives him. So they kind of flip that. Which was well, interesting. And they also make the Mega Buster tap directly from his power cells because Dr. Light's like, use it wisely. So, he, <laughs> and then later they show like a, a shot where there's like this display that Dr. Light's looking at and you see the Mega Buster actually has an energy meter. And I'm just like, oh, great. You know, I, Mega Man's hard enough, but to play it where you can only fire the Mega Buster so much and then you have to wait for it to recharge or collect an energy tank to refill it, that would be awful. Yeah, that would be terrible. The displays that Dr. Light has are all little fun homages to the video game, too, though, because there there will be some little cute graphics that look kind of like the NES graphics on his heads up display and, and things like that. An energy meter that looks like Mega Man's energy meter. I thought all that stuff was really cool. So, yeah, I think there's kind of a big plot hole here. At least it kind of struck me that way, because. You know, we have this whole setup with these robot masters that are supposed to perform these services that are going to help people. Dr. Light used to be a weapons maker and now he's not. He even says, you know, they were supposed to help people. I didn't expect them to be stolen and weaponized. So they, they do this cartoon trope where they have something very powerful that they have created and they flaunt it in front of everybody, in front of the media. Like the, it seems like every time in cartoons they do this, somebody is planning to steal it because it's on TV. Everybody knows about it. They're not a secret. Right. So, so then, you know, Dr. Wiley obviously takes over the robot masters, like we said, makes them do evil things and hurt people. Isn't Dr. Light concerned that when he reprogram or when he, well, I guess, reprograms Rock to make him into Mega Man, that he's not going to go out there. Wiley's going to be like, oh, sweet, another one and reprogram him like he did the robot masters. Yeah, I mean, that's it's fortunate for us, you know, in the human race that Dr. Wiley does not do that. <laughs> So, because <laughs> otherwise we'd all be dead because Mega Man can't be stopped. Uh, I, I do like them having that, that little hero's moment of him stepping up and going like, you know, I can do something about this. I'll be the one, you know, change my programming, give me the ability to save people. And, it was very uh, Captain America, like, you know, Steve yeah. Rogers, before he became Captain America, was very courageous and kind of volunteered. And then that courage just followed him 
into being a super soldier. And the same thing happens with Rock when he becomes Mega Man. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's just nice to see that that actually play out instead of seeing just a couple sentences in a game about it. Uh, that pretty much takes us to the end of issue one. I did want to talk about there were a couple Easter eggs in there that I noticed when the reporters were interviewing Dr. Light. There are a few reporters that I think are from other video games, but I only recognize two of them off the top of my head. One of them is Neige, uh, who is a main character from Mega Man Zero Four, which within the game continuity, she would be several centuries too early, but she's kind of just in the audience as an Easter egg. And also the reporter from Catalox Island in Mega Man Legends appears in a few panels and actually has speaking lines as well. So that was kind of a fun little nod that, you know, the creators are going, yeah, we're aware of the Mega Man universe at large, you know. I believe the other ones were from Mega Man Battle and Chase. Oh, okay. That makes sense uh, because that's a racing game that that would have reporters. But I, if I'm honest, have spent probably the least amount of time with that game versus other Mega Man games. So, yeah. Yeah. When they announce the Robot Masters, the spread that they have where they name all of them and kind of give them uh, a short description of what they're doing is kind of like you have Dr. Light in the center and then you have all the squares around them. It's kind of like the Robot Master selection screen from a Mega Man game. Oh, the way I it's didn't arranged. even pick up on that. That's so cool. Yeah, there are really so many Easter eggs in this that it it was hard for me to limit the amount that I could talk about in the podcast just for time, because I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast where we just go through, here's all the cool Easter eggs that they packed in here for fans of the games, you know, because there's a lot of them. Yeah, which is surprising because the story is not overly complex and it's not really that long, but there's just so much in it. I think being a fan of the series that you can pick out of it, that it's so enjoyable. Whereas if you hadn't really had exposure to Mega Man, you might just kind of be like, okay, this is interesting and just move through it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you definitely get more out of it as a longtime fan. So, you know, coming into it, both of us coming into it from that perspective, I think it, it was very enjoyable because each page it's like, oh, here's something I recognize, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so the rest of the story is pretty much a series of action action sequences as Mega Man kind of charges through the Robot Masters. And I was kind of hoping that they would have lengthened that section a little bit just because he dispatches them very, very easily. Like with one and, hit. Yeah, I mean, it's like one hit every single one. Uh, they do show Mega Man's copy chip, which is his ability to steal the ability of each robot master that he fights, but unlike the games, he doesn't destroy them. So it's actually less violent than the video games take on Mega Man. And uh, there is a there is a small section in issue three where they go into Dr. Light is worried about Mega Man's cockiness because I guess that was kind of the character trait that Blues had, or or Proto Man as we know him in the United States. And, and so Dr. Light's kind of a little bit worried and they don't really get into that too deeply, but I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, that's when they kind of do that segue. So, so it's kind of like a, a data lore situation where you have lore who came first. Well, I guess you have B4, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you yeah. have lore and he's the older brother and he 
had issues and he had emotions, but he kind of turned on the colonists and nobody liked him. And so then Dr. Soong made data, but he made him more of like a pure lighthearted version um, and didn't right. have emotions. So it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that until now. It's kind of similar where Blues or Proto Man was the first one and he just kind of didn't go out of control like the robot masters where he was evil, but he was kind of a jerk and just yeah. let the power go to his head. So that's why maybe Dr. Light was a little hesitant to make rock into Mega Man, but he figured since he was so light and pure hearted that it would be, it would work out this time. Yeah. So, and, and of course it does, but, but it was, it was cool that they had that little character beat in there. I think it adds a little more depth to, Dr. Light. And, you know, hopefully it's foreshadowing that later in this series, I mean, I, I haven't read on, but I would assume that they eventually address Proto Man and, and you know, show Mega Man's older brother. So mm -hmm. I, I did want to talk about the action sequences, especially in the last issue, because he fights the Yellow Devil, which if you don't know, the Yellow Devil is kind of a classic Mega Man enemy. He's made of just globs of yellow goo and he splits himself up and jumps across the area and then comes back and he and, sucks to fight against yeah he really sucks <laughs> he really sucks but the uh i just thought that the art in that section was awesome the way that they showed Mega Man's shots hitting him and there was kind of goo flying everywhere and uh all of that i just thought that they did a really good job with that and i also noticed in the last issue that the backgrounds for each little vignette of Mega Man traversing Wily's castle are accurate to the game. As far as like when he's fighting the Yellow Devil, the background looks like the level looks in the game. When he's fighting, uh, there's a there's a foe Mega Man fights later, copy Mega Man. When he's fighting him, the background from that boss room is there in the comic book. So they really went to great lengths to make it very, very accurate to you know, what was represented in the games. And I think if you're a fan of Mega Man, you're really going to get a kick out of it. So yeah, I think that's the similarity this does share with Mr. Miracle is it was written by people who were fans of the original concept and wanted to write something that fans would enjoy um, that was entertaining and had, you know, little Easter eggs here and there. And I think that was the most fun of our last episode was picking out those little things. And, you know, especially with Mega Man, where we've just been fans of it, so long and so many different mediums it's it's fun to just go through and see all the, all the little homages or representations that they have in just these four issues yeah yeah for sure it's it's just it, it was always a treat every time i turned the page to see oh yeah i remember fighting this thing you know this this uh and and of course it's it's an nes game so it's nice to see it you know, fully rendered with somebody's pencil art instead of a little pixel representation of it, but they're all still recognizable as what they are. So uh, I, I think the the art really, that was kind of a tough job, you know, a tough assignment as an artist to translate some of that stuff to looking fully 3D and, you know, telling a story with it. But I, I think he did a really good job. So I, I guess the other, the, the only other major difference that I noticed was Mega Man actually gets the Robot Masters to turn on Dr. Wily yeah. towards the end of the story, which was pretty surprising. I found it satisfying within this story only because I know that the way that the games play out, Mega Man fights them again, and that would have been super repetitive in a story. So I, I think that 
the writer found a way, you know, Ian Flynn found a way to, okay, we're going to bring the robot masters back in at the end, but we're not just going to rehash what we already did. Well, and I think it's super repetitive in the games too. Like every Mega Man you play, you're like, I know I'm going to have to fight these guys again at the end. And it, yeah, they were hard the first time. And sometimes they're hard the second time. Sometimes it's not as much because you have every weapon. So it's a lot easier if you just use the right weapon type, but a lot of times it's annoying because it's right. like, this isn't new content. This isn't a new boss. It's the same thing that I did before, but it, <laughs> it was really neat in this because they did the setup. Like they had the little transport capsules and it looked like he was going to have to fight them all again. And it was like, okay, here we go. But it went completely different where they, yeah, they turn on Dr. Wiley and it was just kind of, it, it was fun to do something different with it instead of what usually happens in the game. Yeah, I think Mega Man actually convinced them to go against their evil programming, or he kind of appealed to their original programming. It was something like that, but it it ended up being kind of a nice character beat for him too, where he was able to solve a problem without shooting. Well, and so, he turned them on each other for a little while, like they were fighting each other. Yeah, and he just was like, "Well, if you guys are going <laughs> to fight each other, then I'm going to move on." Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't think that was his intention, but that's what ended up happening. So. But yeah, I mean, the story ends with, you know, obviously Mega Man is able to defeat Dr. Wily, you know, destroy his killer robot and take him off to jail and, you know, all is well with the world. So Well, except they say we're going to have the robot masters repaired and reprogrammed. Um, yeah. If you saw these things terrorizing your city and, you know, a giant robot, well, not giant, I guess he's a small robot with like scissors on his head or a giant robot with super strength, just like destroying buildings. And I mean, they didn't show them cutting anybody, but I mean, it could happen. And then you're yeah. like, oh, no, no, guys, it's fine. Uh, you know, this evil guy, he took them over and reprogrammed them, but that's okay. You know, I'm going to reprogram them for good and it'll all be fine. Like, who would be okay with that? I wouldn't want to see that thing you know, in the forest, like, oh, hey, how are you doing? I'm just, you know, making sure the forest is all good and peaceful and happy. I'd be like, uh, I'm not turning my back on you. <laughs> I, I never thought about the horror of, of like being at, at some kind of, you know, blue collar day job and then seeing Gutsman roll up next to you and like lift a giant boulder and just just going like, that's the guy that was trying to kill me last week. It's like Angel Grove where, you know, if you live there, you would be moving quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's like disaster after disaster in the same city over and over. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I don't know, especially knowing that Mega Man is is such a long and storied franchise where robots continuously go bad over and over. Yeah. I don't think I'd want those things reprogrammed uh, to, to join society. Be like, why don't we decommission all these? Maybe that Dr. Light guy, maybe he needs to, you know, go off in a corner and do different research too. And maybe let's just get on with our lives. Mm. I did also want to point out an instance of the number 47. Oh, Blader brigade number 47. Um, so for those of you who don't know, 47 is a number that reoccurs a lot um, in the Star Trek series, not only in, say, like Next Generation, but also Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I think they've even had it in Discovery as well. So it's uh, the, the Kelvin movies. I yep. mean, ev everything. everything. It's, it's the video games. Trek. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's pretty fun that there was a 47 in there. I don't know if that means the creators are Star Trek fans, but 
you know, who's to say? In my head canon, it does. Yeah, and that's exactly. all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So our, our story does end with a little bit of a cliffhanger after they capture Dr. Wiley. They introduce two really obscure robot masters, which they're not named in the story, but it's Time Man and Oil Man, who are actually foes in the PSP remaster of the original Mega Man game. So I'm not super familiar with them, but I'm guessing that the next trade paperback of this involves some kind of time travel story just based on that and the fact that it's called Time Keeps Slipping. Which is a song. <laughs> it is a song. I really enjoyed this. I mean, I really didn't know what to expect beyond just kind of a fun rehashing of the, you know, the classic Mega Man story. And that's pretty much what I got with a few character beats added in that, you know, maybe were unexpected. Why don't you go ahead and let me know how you're going to rate this before I decide, because I'm still kind of trying to hash that out. Uh, you want to copy my answer. I see how it is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to kind of do what I did last time is to give it a four out of five. And I'm going to say that because, you know, especially for the, the nostalgia of the games and all the Easter eggs that were in there and just being a fun concept story and the way that it was drawn and the way that it was told really did pay justice to uh, Mega Man as a whole. So I really enjoyed it. It was fun to read it, but I'm only giving it four out of five because there's room for improvement because I really want to see like an expanded version of this, you know, where you can kind of flush out a lot of those things where, you know, the robot masters like just easily getting reprogrammed and everybody being okay with it when Dr. Wiley gets apprehended and nobody being scared that rock, you know, with him getting so cocky is going to turn to Dr. Wiley's side, you know, just kind of flesh those things out, I think would be a really fun story. That would be the only way I could see this being better. Um, but that would really be my only, I guess, critique on it. I mean, there's things that you can nitpick here and there, but the story for what it is, I think, you know, the issues here in this book do a good job of portraying it and retelling it as well. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's a cartoon story, you know, or an anime right. story or however you look at it. I mean, it's, it's not meant to be something with great emotional depth. So uh, I've been trying to decide between a three and a four, and I think you've convinced me to go four. I greatly enjoyed it, but all those things that you brought up, not so much plot holes, but just areas where they could have added more depth, I think are what will knock it down from a five out of five for me. And uh, that's, that's just because there was so much on the page that they were just kind of on the edge of getting to something a little bit deeper that they could have explored. And, that, you know, there were a couple of interesting plot directions that they could have gone down to maybe get the story to be just a little bit longer and add a little bit more depth to the characters. I did like that Mega Man had an arc, but I, I was really interested in that idea that like Dr. Light and Dr. Wiley had maybe been war profiteers in the past and now they're, they're getting away from that and there's a disconnect in their friendship. And I really wish that they'd shown more of that because I thought that was a really interesting angle to take on that. So um, yeah, four out of five. I think our expectations for this being a comic book were to have a little bit more 
than mm-hmm. we did, even though what we got was really good. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if this was if this was shown in various cutscenes in one of the games, we'd be like, oh, this is awesome. But I think oh, yeah. because oh, it's yeah. in print, we're like, well, you know, they could have done a little bit more. They could have told the story a little bit deeper, you know, things like that. But yeah, it's just, the you know, the format of comics allows them to expand on things a little bit more than than uh, what they ended up doing in the end. We we glossed over it, but I mean, the the all the fights with the robot masters are very very quick Mega Man takes them out in one or two hits even for like an action-oriented comic book that would typically not be the case you would have some banter back and forth you would have more of a fight you know I, I would have enjoyed seeing a little bit more conflict there too well so. it's probably because you know Dr. Light took a household shoe shining robot and he equipped him <laughs> with super armor a super weapon teleportation a copy chip but he did not give him anything like a military tactics chip or combat maneuvers or you know something that would actually help him fight so (laughs) if he actually you know he didn't even give him a witty banter chip no no it's true yeah yeah a lot of the a lot of them are dispatched with like one quip from Mega Man, and and then he you know just automatically uses the ability that they're weak to uh, it was cool that they had him defeat them in the recommended order for you to defeat them in the game, though. Uh, if anybody's interested in seeing that, by the way, I did put a link up on Twitter to a YouTube video where I clear Mega Man 1 in about 40 minutes. I did not do it without dying, but close. Nice. So, I wish that Dr. Light would give Rock or Mega Man advice in the games like he does in this comic because that I know would have helped me instead of having to well there wasn't Google um, back then but you know having to search for okay what weapon do I use or just going in and trying it and seeing if this weapon works does this weapon work and then you know in the end Mike going oh you just use the Mega Buster here watch this pew 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 <laughs> <dead>. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah well. If we ever read some Mortal Kombat comics, we'll get to talk about how you're way more amazing at that than I am. So add it to the list. The uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to do that. I'm pretty sure DC publishes those because I think it's uh, Warner Brothers. Nice. So they they are out there. But uh, yeah, so final rating, we both give it a four out of five. Bananas and um, yeah, if you have a different rating or you dis- totally disagree or you agree or whatever your thoughts are, share them with us on Twitter. Yeah, uh, let us know your thoughts on Twitter. Um, let us know your thoughts on Instagram as well, if you like. Uh, again, the links are anchor.fm slash boneless comics podcast, Instagram at boneless comics podcast, Twitter at boneless comics one. So don't forget to, uh, you know, just let us know what you think of the episode, ask any questions. Uh, don't forget to give us a five star rating on Apple and subscribe on Spotify. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks. And so next time, we are going to be talking about... Daredevil. Daredevil. But not the comic book. We are going to rewatch Daredevil from 2003. And hopefully it's aged as well as I think it has, because I'm definitely heading into this with an agenda. (laughs) Yeah. So, Well, we'll definitely be talking about comic books when we're talking about this movie, but also just our impressions and thoughts probably back when we didn't know as much about comics and then comparing that to what we know now and especially what you know now because you've read a lot more Daredevil than I have.
Mm-hmm. And spoilers, that movie is the reason why. So, But find out next time on We Like Comics Because They Have No Bones. Until then, I'm Joe Gacho. And I'm Mike White. Thanks for listening. Catch you later.